This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, we look back on the 9-11 terrorist attacks and both the NFL's reactions to some of the biggest events in U.S. history and how it learned from its mistakes. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. It's Tuesday. It's time to give you guys what you've been waiting a whole week for. Papers are ready. I'm prepared. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you. You and you. It's cool if you guys already know this stuff. Congratulations. But there's always someone else who doesn't. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we are here to do three things. Enlighten, teach, and learn. Yes, this is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. BellyUpSports.com. Go to it. Click on it. Listen to the shows. Read the articles. We have great content. And you can catch us on our home base of Spreaker. Also, everybody's favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Then we also have Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. And of course, everybody loves YouTube. And my show is not on YouTube yet. You can't see my mug just yet. Anyway, all right. So it was a crazy weekend in football. I love football so much. Uh, it's, it's awesome. I did nothing but watch football until I passed out. And what was my takeaway? Someone asked me that on Monday. What was my takeaway from the weekend? I said kickers, upsets, players playing against their old teams, whether it was college transfers or guys who, you know, changed teams via free agency or trade. And that's what it was. And so since the NFL season has begun, week one, we have the rundown. Kick the music. Thursday night football, Bills at Rams. Week one, you know, the defending Super Bowl champ, Los Angeles Rams, Rams house. The Rams were handed their rings and they, they got handed a beating. The Rams were handed their rings and then were handed a beating. They were paid a visit by the Buffalo Bills and their new edge rusher, Von Miller, who had two of the Bills' seven sacks. What did I see in this game? Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup. All right, so even though Cup had 13 catches that game, they miss ODBJ. They miss Odell Beckham Jr., who was in the building to get his uh, his ring, but they miss him, period. There was no pass rush for the Rams. 
Yes, we got Aaron Donald there. Yeah, he had a sack. That was about it. He was on a milk card for the most of the game. Two tackles. And the guy on the other side for the Bills, that's the same havoc that he helped them wreak on last year once he finally got going. But as far as Josh Allen is concerned, he's an absolute beast. Yeah, Allen threw, what, two picks and had, uh, the Bills had, what, three turnovers in the first half. But he's become that dude for me. I almost could care less if he turns the football over. Um, I mean, we can't throw totally throw that out because if it's in the playoffs and they lose a game because of it, okay, yeah. He needs to fix it. They knew, He needs to fix it. I won't say they, but he needs to fix it. But, I mean, he's going to make up for it most of the time. My guy counted for four touchdowns against the defending Super Bowl champs in their building. Even after this game, I still think this could be a Super Bowl preview. But Matt Stafford, them three picks you threw in that offense, y'all need to fix it. Final, Buffalo 31, Rams 10. All right, so Falcons fans, Saints at the Falcons. Falcons fans, stop me if you heard this one before. Fourth quarter, the Falcons are up big, right? They're up 26 to 10 on the New Orleans Saints at home. And then the Saints score 17 straight points, finishing the Falcons with a Will Lutz 51-yard field goal for the game uh, winner. Atlanta kicker, Young Hoku, he had his potential game winner. His 63-yard field goal, it was blocked, and that was it. So, I mean, what are you going to do? But you guys, you should never have been in that position. Again, Falcons, they've got to stop giving up these leads. But speaking of kickers, Lutz was actually one of the few that redeemed himself this weekend. Again, I'm talking about college and pro. I'm not going to talk about college football, but if you saw it, you saw it. If you didn't, you missed it. Uh, like those kickers <laughs> missed those field goals. And after missing a 44-yarder himself, Koo, I mean, you, you're either a hero or a goat this weekend if you are a kicker. So, and speaking of missed, more missed field goals, Steelers at the Bengals. All right, so Cincinnati's Evan McPherson, he missed that potential game winner himself, uh, which was an extra point, and it was blocked. And this is my man Minka Fitzpatrick. You don't know, I am a Steelers fan. And Minka had a penalty just before that. And then he goes and redeems himself by blocking the extra point when they were all tied up at, the, what was it, at uh, 20. And so Chris Boswell, he missed one in overtime. And I thought, crap, well, they gave the ball right back to him. They're going to they're gonna get us. That would have won the game. And then he turned around. They got the ball back, nailed the game winner. All this in overtime. Now, the Pittsburgh defense, they won that football game for the most part. They set the offense up for success. And that offense... Oh, we we got some work to do in Steeler Town. But the defense, they forced five turnovers. They picked off Joe Burrow four times, and they forced a fumble as well. T.J. Watt, all right, so my man Torres Peck, I seen it as soon as he came off the field. He's pointing to it. If he was watching the game here, took his helmet off. He had a penalty called on him. But he's walking off with his arm up, and he's, like, pointing to that. And I'm like, here, yeah, Torres Peck. And so apparently he's going to be back. He doesn't need the surgery. And... All right, I can breathe a little bit, but let's just see what happens after he comes back. Please, Lord, heal him. Uh, the Pittsburgh offense, I'm giving them some time to figure it out. Trubisky, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great either, as long as he didn't turn the football over. Najee Harris, I mean, again, the guy gets hurt. Um, Chase, Chase Claypool, the receiver, he led the Steelers in rushing with 36 yards. That's a problem. That's going to be a problem. The Bengals, they'll be fine. I guess Joe Burrow can't go around throwing four picks like that anymore. Uh, but that supposed fixed offensive line, seven sacks, man. 
<laughs> Patriots at Dolphins. Okay, not bad for an opening day for Miami. All right, they got the new coach and they're a nice W. The defense looked good. The offense was okay. They could, they, uh, well, they couldn't run the football worth crap, but they liked a lot better, looked a lot better, excuse me, with Cheetah, you know, at receiver. Man, he looks good in that Miami white. Uh, a couple of field goals, a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Jalen Waddle from two, a touchdown pass. And then voila, bam, got a 20 to 7 win over Belichick and those Patriots. And New England, you guys got to get Mac and Cheese, an offensive coordinator, some more weapons. I know they tried the Devontae Parker thing. There's only one game. He only caught one pass for what, nine yards? I'll leave that there, but Belichick, get you an offensive guy in there. You guys are going to have a long year. Giants hit Titans. Okay. All I've heard for the past couple of days, Titans win games they're not supposed to. They lose the ones that they can't. You know, I understand that. Well, I'll make it real simple for you. The Titans got outscored 21 to 7 in the second half after holding a 13 to zip lead. Brian Dayball, I told guys, look, Brian Dayball, if he's turning this team around, it's got to start with him. And you've seen him giving it to quarterback Daniel Jones on the sideline. Um, for the fans that weren't there or that didn't see it on TV and may have they were close to, to the sideline, he was giving it to Daniel Jones. You can't throw a pick there. And the guy, I mean, he turned around the next drive. They went, what, 12 plays, 73 yards, and they got the touchdown, the two-point conversion. And, you know, Daniel Bullock, Tyson get the ball back. They drive down. Bullock misses the field goal. So he's a GOAT. <laughs> and you lose the game. Saquon Barkley, by the way, my man is back. They got a better coach now. Dayball is a better offensive coach, and he's not going to stand for it. I, I mean, I'm not – look, I'm not a Giants fan, but I'd like the New York Giants. I want to see them improve. It's one of those teams that I grew up seeing that were really good. You've you heard me talk about them in the 80s and then the early 90s, and then most of the early 90s they kind of stunk because the coaching was terrible. But I like the New York Giants, and they need to get a coach that can actually – get this team in moving in the right direction. Okay, so, all right, 49ers at Bears, I have no idea. I mean, I watched the game, but then I just turned it off, and next thing I knew, uh, Amon Ra St. Brown was scoring for the Lions, because I'm watching the games on Red Zone. And then Equiminius St. Brown, he plays receiver, his brother plays receiver for the, for the Bears. Of course, Amon Ra plays for the Detroit Lions. They score touchdowns within minutes of each other. I thought that was really cool. And the next thing I knew, the 49ers were down. I think they were up, what, 10 to nothing? And he was playing the game in the monsoon. I thought San Francisco would run away with that game. Um, then Justin Fields, he pulls a play out of his butt. He throws a 51-yard to Dante Pettis. And like I said, Equiminius St. Brown scores a touchdown himself. And I'm like, wow, look at that. <laughs> and that touchdown catch from Fields, uh, that, you know, that, that pass, it, it gave, I said touchdown catch, touchdown pass. Gave the Bears the lead for good. I'll give Trey Lance a pass for playing in the rain, but that guy needs some work. Anyway, speaking of the Lions, I mean, they lost their opener, 38-35 to the Eagles. The Eagles ran the football down their throat. That offense looks pretty potent. Now I'm starting to see why they are – I've seen some people in the belly up family, and you had some national people there are actually picking the Eagles uh, to not only win the NFC East – Whatever what happened Sunday night, uh, well, we can pretty much stamp that. Which you, if you watch the Cowboys and Bucks on Sunday night, you probably book that. The Eagles should win this. If they don't win this division, 
yeah, y'all, y'all just need to sit down for the rest of the season. Um, well, I mean, if it's out of, uh, if you're out of the race uh, at some point of the season, just stay home. You guys should win this going away, period. Um, but anyway, I, the, the Eagles, they won the game 38 to 35, and I, I was rooting for Detroit. I really was. Um, after watching Hard Knocks, you know, you want to see them do well. You want to see those teams, unless you're fans of, not fans of that team, and <laughs> they're in your division, you hate them, you want to see them be bad, right? Dan Campbell, he talked about grit throughout the entire hard season, uh, off season, on Hard Knocks, and it showed on Sunday, and they were down 31 to 14 at one point. Let's see what happens next week. They came and closed the gap, and as far as Philly is concerned, yeah, they should be, um, vying for the NFC championship or at least getting it deep into the NFC cha- uh, playoffs. That's what I think. Ravens at Jets. Of course, the Jets hosted the Ravens facing his old team, Joe Flacco. He threw 59 passes. Uh, that means y'all not running the ball very well. And he completed 37 of them, 370 yards, but only one touchdown. He had an interception, right? All right. So, But Lamar Jackson, he tossed three touchdowns in a 20 uh, to nine victory, I think it was. Make that 24 to nine. Uh, anyway, moving on, Jags and Commanders. This one was actually a really good back and forth game. At one point, Carson Wentz looked like he was going backwards after throwing two picks. Uh, I, I saw, uh, you know, after he threw those two interceptions, I read where uh, his coach, he said, hey, look, hey, man, Rivera was like, you're going to have to win this game. Wentz said, I will. And he did. So they came back. Uh, and like I said, it was a back and forth thing. He finished the game with four touchdown passes. They won uh, 28 to 22 over Jacksonville. And I have to get used to saying commanders. It's it's weird. Anyway, Jacksonville, you know, give it some time. Let, let it base. All right. Browns at Panthers. You had those old, you know, <laughs> teammates and old players that they're facing their old teams. And, I mean, all I could think about with Baker Mayfield, we had a nice discussion about him anyway. And basically it was, look, the guy, I don't think he knew what he was really getting into as a rookie when he was mouthing off about Hugh Jackson. And it's like, well, that same thing can happen to you. You could get fired. Being traded, to me, is the equivalent of being fired in the NFL, not just being cut. All right? So you can be traded, and you're supposed to be supposed to have been the franchise quarterback. I had to tell one of my buddies, you're not going to see those at home with Baker Mayfield commercials anymore. We had endorsements. Yeah, he did have endorsements. But, you know, when you got a quarterback, and every quarterback needs help, all right? Don't get me wrong. But if you can't depend on him with his arm to move you down the field without a running game, then you probably don't have the quarterback that you really, really want. If he has to have a running game for them to move down the field in, in certain situations. I mean, sometimes you can't run the football. You can't depend on Nick Chubb. You can't depend on Kareem Hunt. Sometimes you have to do it yourself. And he didn't do it. They got to the playoffs, got a first win in years. And well, he plays for another team for a reason. And Cleveland, they ruined a great comeback of their former quarterback, Baker Mayfield in Carolina. After leading it 20 to 7, heading into the fourth quarter, Mayfield and the Panthers, they took a 24 to 23 lead. After Eddie Pinero, he made a field goal. Then Cade York for the Browns, he nails a 58-yarder with eight seconds left. Walk off. 26 to 24, Browns win. <laughs> there you go. But there was sometimes you just don't win, right? Sometimes you just tie. 
Colts and Texans, yeah, they finished in a tie. More kicking woes. The Texans fans, they booed the first tie in the history of the franchise. They was 20 to 20 against the Colts and nobody wanted to win the game. Houston blew a 20 to three lead. Maybe they were booing more so that. If we went up so big, maybe, you know, come on, Lovey Smith. But I mean, that was his debut with Houston. They'll be better. I think that they'll be better, but uh, we'll see. But Rodrigo Blankenship of the Colts, he had a chance to win it himself. He missed a 42-yarder with two minutes left to go in the game. And, of course, Lovey, what was it? He elected to punt uh, on fourth down instead of trying to get a little bit closer. I mean, I get it. I, I get it. But you, you settle for a tie. Packers at Vikings. Ooh, Aaron Rodgers. I was watching a lot of the games, of course, on Red Zone. And every time they went to the Vikings at Packers, Aaron Rodgers was getting smashed. Everybody in America knows the situation. If they watched that game, they saw the rookie, Christian Watson, drop a potential 75-yard touchdown pass. You're wide open and stoink right off the hands. Not off the, not off the uprights, right off your hands. And you just know what A.A. Ron is thinking. Look at what I have here. They got the beats. They got the Vikings beat them down. And it's funny, they had the audacity to switch to the Raiders and Chargers game where Devontae Adams is catching 10 passes. Yeah, they lost, but he's catching 10 passes. He misses you, Devontae. Anyway, the Vikings, Justin Jefferson, he caught, what, nine for 184 yards? He just keeps setting records in the Vikings receiving areas. And State Farm, you know, he they could really use him right now. Chiefs and Cardinals, the first time Arizona head coach Cliff Kingsbury had to face his old college quarterback from Texas uh, Tech, Patrick Mahomes. And speaking of which, no cheater, no problem. 30 of 39, 360 yards, five touchdowns. What? I don't need to say anything else. Chiefs 44, Cardinals 21. And of course, that Raiders and Chargers game, staying with the college thing, old Fresno State teammates, Derek Carr and Devontae Adams, they had a pretty good game together, but they also had a tough one. And the reason was Carr's former Raiders teammate, Khalil Mack, three sacks. And the final one put a ball in the Chargers 24 to 19 W. Sunday night football, yeah, the Bucs, they beat the Cowboys 19-7. What more is there to say? Except Tampa, they should have scored more points. Period, point blank. Brady was, you know, he was good. The oldest starting quarterback in the history of the NFL at 45 years old. Dak Prescott, he fractures the thumb on his throwing hand. He's going to be gone for a while, even though Jerry Jones keeps saying otherwise. He won't, well, um, he'll be back a little sooner than no i don't know if he's coming back in in week four i think it may be more like week 10 if you bring him back too early you... anyway you slice it the, the offense of the cowboys stinks i drafted cd lamb for my fantasy team and i might have to give that dude up monday night football last night broncos at seahawks at work all day i kept asking was who was that guy quarterback at the seahawks last night that was not geno smith no way and Gino, he did enough for his squad to get the W. And they got what? It was a 17 to 16 win. And Brad McManus, he misses the field goal at the end of the game. It was a 58 yard, I mean, a 64 yard, 64 yard. But he did enough. I still don't trust him. Uh, that's one game they came in hyped up for. They were not going to let Russell Wilson come in and win that game. I think the rest of the season is going to be bumpy. That's just me. That's just me. I mean, you get up for some games. And you just get that out there. If they could keep that going the rest of the year, okay. But they're not. I don't, I don't believe it. I, I don't believe it. that offense to me is it. Um, I don't think that they're built for that. That's just my opinion. Okay. I normally don't. 
do that except for this segment that we're doing right now. I don't think they're making the playoffs. Not no chance in Hades. Russell Wilson, he was good. Seahawks fans, y'all booed him. Okay. <laughs> Embarrassing. I said it. But that's fandom. I get it. But if McManus hadn't missed that 64 yarder, never mind. I'll say this though. I absolutely love, love Joe Buck and Troy Eggman on Monday Night Football. All right, so 21 years ago, where was I? I was in a FedEx truck getting off the interstate downtown Nashville, and I see a message on what we used to have in our trucks called the DAS unit that the towers had been hit. The twin towers had been hit. And um, yeah, that, that was the first that I saw, and I just couldn't believe it. And I got to one of my stops, and I'm looking at a TV at this place that was called We Make Tapes. And they had, and they, everybody's gathered around a TV somewhere across the country. And they're watching this, and it's surreal. You see people jumping out of buildings because they don't want to burn up to death or whatever in those towers. You know, you had planes that fly into the towers just out of nowhere. Uh, last year, around this time, National Geographic, they showed, and they, they did it again this year, of course, my first time seeing it, and it was called uh, One Day in America, and it was basically just an in-depth look of everything that happened that day of on September 11th, all the people that died, the stories, it was so sad. It, it really was. It was scary, and I got even more of an understanding of what took place that day. Well, when you have something like that, especially around this time of the year, I mean, sports is connected. That's football season. And, you know, today we're going to look at similar national events and how the NFL basically handled them. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. There's an article that was written last year by Judy Batista on NFL.com, and it was called Remembering 9-11. It tells a couple of stories, some in-depth about, quote-unquote, where they were when the attacks happened. It also gives accounts going forward after the fact. This is coming from players, team presidents, even the commissioner at the time, Paul Tagliabue, and, and some others. Um, you have to know that the teams, of course, that were affected the most were the New York Giants and the New York Jets. Not to mention the NFL offices that are also in New York. There's accounts of seeing the planes hit. Uh, Vinny Testaverde, who was the quarterback of the Jets at the time, talking about friends that he knew that were lost. Um, one of the rescue workers turned out to be one of his high school teammates that died. New England Patriots uh, offensive lineman Joe Andrewsy. He, he had three brothers, three brothers that were New York City firefighters. He's wondering if they had lived. 
Thank God they got out and one of his brothers, Jimmy, escaped Tower 1 just before it fell down. And his brothers were honorary captains for the coin toss before the Jets and the Patriots played on September 23rd that season. You know, I think it was, what, a week later? So Brian Schottenheimer, the son of Marty Schottenheimer, uh, God rest his soul, he was the quarterback's coach for Washington. And he talked about how their building was evacuated shortly after the Pentagon was hit. And they spent, what, an hour and a half in the parking lot. Safety reasons. One that was chilling to me uh, on uh, it was it was actually towards the top of the article was from Giants receiver at the time Armani Toomer and I quote we got back to Newark Airport early that morning and the flight right next to us was United Flight 93 we were right next to them and if you're you know if you're not familiar with Flight 93 that was the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania that some believe was bound for the White House of course the big question was whether or not the teams should play going into that weekend okay so some players did not want to play well most players did not want to play they felt that football was secondary which it was i agree coaches like the jets herm edwards he told their players look he's good with whatever decision that you make you want to play cool if you don't i'm prepared to even forfeit the game people were afraid of uh people were afraid of uh, afraid of flying um they were grieving they were scared they were angry that this whole thing happened they were shocked and you needed some time to process this stuff man and you just witnessed this stuff on national tv no matter where you were you know just seeing the image of those smoking buildings just made it real just imagine actually being there in new york as a player or part of the coaching staff or whatever uh tiki barber who was a running back for the giants he talked about he him driving in and you could see the world trade center from the field and how it was smoking thousands of lives were affected 2977 deaths 25,000 plus people were injured football had to take a back seat and the decision was made by tagliabu to postpone all the week two games and they were moved to the end of the season. The Super Bowl, traditionally played in January, up until that year, would actually be played in February for the first time ever. So, another event that happened, we're going to go all the way back to the 40s. World War II. So, December 7th, 1941. Of course, Jap the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, an American air base. Uh, and they sunk all of these ships and they killed all of these sailors and people. And look, they got us. Hey, we, we, they basically declared war on us. So we're in. Um, two weeks later uh, from that, the 1941 NFL championship game was played before the lowest crowd ever. And that was what, just 13,300 some odd people. Uh, 13,341 to be exact. And one of the things uh, that has to be has to has to be noted, if you have, if just use your imagination, okay? Let me slow down. Use your imagination. Imagine today that happened, and we go into a war, and these million-dollar players, uh, money aside, they have to go overseas and fight. Just imagine that. Even some coaches or executives end up having to serve. Just. Put that in your mind because that's what happened back then. Of course, the guys weren't making millions of dollars. We understand that. But just to put you in the mindset of the times, 994 NFL personnel served. 
and this is including guys who were in the, eventually inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You had Cliff Battles, who was a running back for the Washington football team. He was a Marine, as, as was Ernie Nevers for the Chicago Cardinals. Chuck Bednarik, he's a famous linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles. He and, of course, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Bill Dudley, they both served the, in the Army. Gino Marchetti, he was Army. He was the defensive tackle for the Baltimore Colts. Then you had the Chicago Bears dynasty of the 40s, which was greatly affected. And the crazy part is they had probably, uh, there were more that were on this list that I have. It pretty much broke them up. I did a show on them uh, a couple of months ago. And that was part of the reason, well, you know, we've been doing this series on the great teams and dynasties and why they weren't winning anymore, what happened to them in the end, and it was the war. The war basically is what broke them up. You had guys like George Hallis, the coach and owner, as well as Taco George Stidihar. They both served in the Navy. Sid Lugman, the quarterback, he was a Marine. Clyde Bulldog Turner, he was in the Army. And then even Kenny Washington, who was the first black player to be signed in the NFL in 1946, who uh, you know, broke the color, bar uh, color barrier with the Rams. He went on a USFO tour. He had to serve as well, and he served his country. Some of them served him here. They didn't necessarily have to go overseas, but he was a sports ambassador. In the end, 21 KIA. KIA means killed in action. Uh, and this was including the tackle for the New York Giants at the time, Al Blossus. Uh, he was killed six weeks after playing in the 1944 NFL championship game. He was killed in 1945. 19 active or former players, and including an ex-head coach and a team executive. You had three that were awarded the Medal of Honor, and that included New York Giants in Jack Lummis uh, in 1941, and he was a Marine. In Maurice Britt, he played for the Detroit Lions. He was in the Army. Also, Joe Foss, who was the first AFL commissioner from 1960 to 1966. Um, and just as a note, remember we talked about who was just inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the first official, Art McNally. Well, his first refereeing job was overseas and he served. You know, they had organized football games overseas to keep the morale up and, and to keep them having something to do. And that's where he first started refereeing in the 40s. Um, you had enlisted players. Uh, you had a lot of delete, uh, depleted rosters. A lot of retired players ended up having to come and fill in because they had so many people that were going out. Remember, we had the NFL draft that started in, what, 1936. And so around this time, they had to have even more rounds. I mean, you're having like 20 and 30 rounds of NFL drafts. Why? Because your rosters are depleted and you're not sure who exactly is going to go overseas and have to serve or who's going to be you know, available to play. Um, and then you also had it affect some teams. You had the Cleveland Rams. They didn't even play in 1943 because they didn't have enough players. And you had two other franchises, actually three franchises, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles, they merged to form the Steagles. And they were not very good. Um, and neither were the, the Cardinals. The Cardinals, the Chicago Cardinals, that is, they were terrible. At one point, they merged uh, that next season because I think the Philadelphia Eagles went back on their own. Card Pitt is what they called that team. 
uh, when they merged in 1944, they, well, they were 0-10. So that didn't work out too well. Uh, 1944, you had the Yanks that were made up of the Boston Yankees and the Brooklyn Tigers. So uh, another thing that, um, you know, NFL, they donated revenue. You know, this is for the war to, um, to you know, to donate to, I think, to families and stuff like that overseas. I believe it was. I could be totally wrong. But they donated their revenue from 15 exhibition games. And it totaled, which was the most at the time, $680,384.07. Uh, another note. Notre Dame fullback, one time Notre Dame fullback, talking about the Chicago Cardinals, Mario, they called him Mats Tonelli. This guy was a story by himself. Uh, he ended up being a POW. He was in the Army, um, and they were stationed, obviously, overseas, and he ended up a POD, a POD, a POW for 1,236 days, 42 months. He was a part of the Baton Death March which was a 60 mile walk they didn't give them food or water or anything uh they marched them to these these metal chain trains you know those same ones that you put cattle on they was herding all these these people and these these pow's to take them to a, a camp where they pretty much served as like slaves for a time too and, and it was just for a small ration of food and i had to look up uh i found this information uh, on the army's memorial type website i'll give you the reference at the end of the show but this guy who was a 210 pound fullback at one time had went all the way down to 98 pounds of course he suffered a lot of different diseases and malnourishment and everything and this guy you see a picture on the left and you see the picture on the right and it's like wow that i mean it's amazing. It's also amazing that the man signed back with the Chicago Cardinals in 1945. He only suited up for a game. But look, I mean, that that was a story all in itself. And the man, I mean, he lived all the way until what? Because uh, he was born in 1915. And he didn't pass away until he was like 80 some odd years old. I'm not doing the math. I think it was in 2013. So he had a story to tell. He really did. Um, the 19, as far as the seasons go, uh, the 1941 season uh, that ended with the Bears being the New York Giants. They were the champs. And then Washington in 42, they beat the Chicago Bears. And there was uh, um, the Bears, I think their last championship that they would win was in 43. And that's when things went downhill. They beat Washington 41 to 21. Green Bay was also a champion um, in the 44 season going all the way to 1945 where the Cleveland Rams, they won their first championship after being 500 for the first time in their history. Of course, the next year was when they moved across country to LA and they ended up signing Kenny Washington and Woody Strode. Uh, they beat Washington in that year. But during that time, that there was rule changes, more rule changes, and one of them was the free substitution rule. I just happened to be watching a little college football the first week and because one of the games, I think, was in a rain delay. And they was talking about the college football aspect. Both college and pro football had the same rules. And I think it would be slightly different with college. But just sticking with the pros, there was the free substitution rule. Platoon football. Guys were playing both ways. Pretty much reminiscent of you playing backyard football. I'm going to play corner and I'm going to play receiver. I'm going to play quarterback and I'm going to play safety. You know what I mean? So you play both ways. But because... Uh, you know, at the time they ended up having, you know, they, I think they were thin and they ended up 
opening things up, especially when they filled these rosters up. They said, okay, well, we're going to let you sub these guys in um, at will. And I think in college, you got to have one sub or something like that at one point. But whatever the case, it ended up freeing up the substitution thing. You can substitute at will from that point going forward as far as my memory serves me. Uh, the World War II ended September 2nd, 1945. And you had a lot of guys who either stopped playing and then you had some that, you know, they, they gave up their careers to join and serve in the Army, the Air Force, the Marines, um, and, you know, the Navy. And some, they came back, some couldn't play anymore. They lost limbs and things like that. And then some, they came back and they played just fine. It just all depended on, you know, <laughs> what shape you were in once you came back. So, you know, there's that. In talking about the events of 9-11, I think this next one pretty much affected the way that we look at tragedies and how you should handle them. Because the NFL, they had the power over the players during this time in the 60s. Of course, now the players have more of a voice and they have a lot more power to say, no, we're just not playing. And there's a reason for that. It's all because of what happened on November 22nd, 1963. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. In 1963, the NFL, Y.A. Tittle, he was the MVP. And, of course, the Chicago Bears won the championship 14-10, mostly because Y.A. Tittle threw them five interceptions, and they scored two defensive touchdowns. Jim Brown, he won the Russian title. Pete Rozelle, he ended up having to suspend two players for betting on their own teams, Paul Horning uh, of the Green Bay Packers and Detroit defensive tackle Alex Karras. And Paul Brown, by the way, speaking of Jim Brown, Paul Brown was fired in 1963 by the Cleveland Browns. I also, Don Shula took over in Baltimore for Weeb Eubank. The Pro Football Hall of Fame was also dedicated. Also, fatal shots rang out around 12.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, shortly after President John F. Kennedy's car turned down Elm Street into Dealey Plaza. He was supposed to be making a speech uh, and he, him and his wife and uh, Governor uh, Connolly and his wife and they're in the car with no top on it. And of course, we know of all the conspiracies and everything. Uh, yeah, no, do I believe that Oswald did it? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. But anyway, you slice it. Anyway, you slice it. Um, the president was killed. He was killed. At the time of the assassination, you know, the news of it spread in a variety of ways. There's a lot of ways that it went around. Um, now, according to a Sports Illustrated article, okay, and this was written back in 2014 by Charles P. Pierce, that's the author's name, 
the Baltimore Colts heard about it on their airplane on their way to LA to play the Rams cross country New York Giants linebacker Sam Huff said he heard it on his car radio in Washington a team that lost seven straight games they were told on the practice field by their head coach Bill McPeak Bobby Mitchell who would lead the league in receiving yards that year thought he was talking about George Preston Marshall the president and owner of the team nah not him he wasn't talking about him they tried practicing and McPeak ended up sending everybody home people were crying in the streets there were no cars shop windows and businesses had black sheets hanging up in them and the thing is it's interesting to see where the league was at the time because of the popularity of the league was finally beginning to grow two days before the league was scheduled to play a decision had to be made by commissioner pete rosell the nba and nhl they actually played games there were four games in the big 10 that were rescheduled while it was Iowa and Notre Dame, they canceled their game. Um, although there were some other fo- college football games that were still played, the AFL, the NFL's rival, canceled all of their games. It came down to Kennedy's press secretary and Roselle's college friend, Pierre Salinger. Salinger had given Roselle the thumbs up to play the games because, and I quote, Jack would have wanted you to play the games. And even Kennedy's brother, Bobby Kennedy, um, he also said, look, you need to play these games. You know, that was the game that he loved. You need to play these games. It had, now, I, now, I'm going to quote Pete Rosell, who was, he was killed for, you know, and really, really, um, he was mopped up and down the floor by the media uh, for going ahead and making the decision to go ahead and play these games. He did. And I have to quote, it has been, this is from Rosell, it has been traditional in sports for athletes to perform in times of great personal tragedy. Football was Mr. Kennedy's game. He thrived on competition and we would not, absolutely not play the game if we really felt it would be showing disrespect. Like I said, there were players and owners alike that wanted Roselle to cancel out the weekend. They did not want to play. They they should not have played. They shouldn't have played. They shouldn't have. Just like 9-11 affected the Giants and the Jets, it greatly affected the Washington football team. They had three hours to go, and they did, up to Philadelphia for their game. By the way, the Eagles collected money for the family of Dallas policeman J.D. Tippett, who was shot to death on that same Friday afternoon, supposedly, allegedly, by Lee Harvey Oswald. There were players all over the league, either at their stadiums, hotel rooms. They were watching TVs, black and white TVs. And this is going on at the time. This is Sunday when Dallas PD was walking Oswald out. And of course, Jack Ruby shoots him dead on live television. Imagine seeing that before a game. And you got to go out there and play. Now, Franklin Field, where the Eagles in Washington, they walked out on the field with no introductions. Uh, a bugler played taps and the stadiums that stadium they sung the national anthem a cappella. people showed up to watch football though they did washington they beat philly 13 to 10 in that game and that was their last win of the season a nice going out you know thing for them because they ended up the season three and 11 for the year but i mean it, it was it was no it was tough for washington and i also read where bobby mitchell actually was friends with and got to know the Kennedys, especially Bobby Kennedy. And I, there was a dedication that they had where they were opening a new 
playground months later and you know he's still both of them are still shook by this entire thing and uh you know it's 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 really really interesting to to, just read how it was during that time and if you were around for 9-11 it was still the same you were shook you were shook and it's still something that's surreal now turn our eyes as far as this assassination back to the dallas cowboys i mean during that time they were you know they come from dallas right the city that shot the president <laughs> they had to travel to cleveland now this was a little surprising to me but the more i read the more i kind of understood the dallas cowboys they were not wanted really in any visiting stadium at the time um, it's as if the fans basically blame them for what happened to the president. The Browns owner, Art Modell, he had to hire some extra security, some off-duty police, to be exact, to protect the the, uh, the Cowboys while they stayed in Cleveland. Uh, they said the bellhops, would, they turned their backs on them when they came off the bus. They had to carry their own luggage. And of course, they get to the field and they get bad mouth left and right. Of course they said it subsided during the game but they still heard stuff you know from uh from those cleveland fans during the game um dallas went on to lose the game to cleveland by the way 27 to 17 if you know anything about a cleveland crowd they can heckle an opposing team and they were giving it to the cowboys um so and and of course they were a lot they were just like everybody else that saw saw oswald shot on national tv and you had them walking out, and I think it what well, was one of the quarterbacks, one player walked out, you know, as he normally did, and kind of surveyed the field or whatever, and he saw that there was a phone on the sideline. He called his wife, you know, to talk to her, you know, to kind of chill him out. And he's like, man, you know, we really don't need to be playing this game. And, you know, of course, they went on and did it anyway. Um, and then I turned to a L.A. Times article. And that article gave a little detail on the Colts and the Rams game. Now, I think that Rams kicker Danny Villanueva, he actually said it best. All teams they did, is included, they just went through the motions that day. Even though four of the six games played that Sunday were actually sold out, wasn't a lot of teams yet, okay? Uh, people were out there. They were just there, you know? Uh, it's the one decision. Pete Rozelle, um, going all the way down to, you know, almost to the point of where he passed away he said that's the one regret the one thing that he regretted the most and it's also to be noted that the league again building its popularity at the time like i said they had the power and you know the powers now with the voice of the players these days remember at the top of the show i said that there were players as well as coaches that did not want to play following the attacks again the super bowl was moved into february after that week's games um you know so that those games will move to the end of the season that week two was put on the back end and the league actually played they paid what eight million dollars to move an auto auto convention uh that was in new orleans in order to have this uh, hotel space for the super bowl i mean that's saying something so the league they had to learn their lesson and they had to learn a hard one uh but just uh, it's just amazing to see how they handled there's more stuff i can't give it all <laughs> i can't give it all but it was really really interesting just looking back and seeing how they handled the, the nfl during world war ii uh there was no nfl in world war one i'd like to see how they handled that back in those days with college football and with sports but 
Yeah, it was just really interesting. I mean, the, the attacks, of course, I was around for that. I wasn't around uh, for the Kennedy assassination. And you can see what the NFL learned from now until then. They know that sometimes football isn't as important. That's it. References. Thanks to ESPN.com. Also, ProFootballReference.com. And then I have a couple articles. Friends of the National World War II Memorial. And this one was by Talia Ertman. Football in the NFL during World War II. This is dated September 13, 2019. Also, ArmyHistory.org. And this was the story on Mario Tonelli. Milwaukee Journal. The Bears swamp Giants 37-9 in pro playoff before 13,341. This one was by Oliver E. Keiko. RetroSeasons.com, National Football League 1963 NFL season overview. Also, Charles P. Pierce uh, on SI.com. Black Sunday, the NFL plays on after JFK's assassination. Also, the LA Times, the NFL carried on after JFK's assassination, even as players mourn. I hope I say this guy's name right. I think I am. This one's by Paresh Dave. This is dated November 21st, 2013. And also, History.com. This one written by Pat McManaman. Two days after JFK's assassination, the Dallas Cowboys faced backlash. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast. This is your host i am michael neal jr this show is presented by belly up sports and also belly up sports podcast network bellyupsports.com of course you can catch us all on spreaker apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, amazon music stitcher iHeartRadio, and youtube tell your friends and family about this show or i will find your house i'm out Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.